morning, everyone. Uh, can I just draw your attention to this, which I hope should be uh, in all the pews. Thanks to Matthew and Emily for putting them out for me. Uh, but this week sees the start of December, and there is a tendency for a bit of madness and mayhem to uh, erupt. And so this is just a little uh, card that Mark has prepared, a little Project 25 card, which gives you 25 different things to do, one every day of December, running up to Christmas, to just help you keep the focus. So if I could really encourage you to take uh, those away with you this morning and enjoy doing those very creative things that Mark has suggested. Uh, I'm pretty sure we all recognize this simple symbol. Uh, Who can tell me which company it belongs to? Nike, okay. But what is their slogan? Because whenever you see this symbol, you don't just think Nike. You think three words. What are those three words? Just do it. I was reading this week about how that came to be Nike's slogan. And according to company folklore, it was coined in 1988 at a meeting between the advertising agents and a group of Nike employees. And apparently one advertising rep speaking admirably of Nike's can-do attitude said, you Nike guys, you just do it. And the rest, as they say, is advertising history. Now, as we turn to God's word this morning, we come to a book of the Bible that kind of reflects the Nike attitude and slogan. The New Testament epistle of James is often seen as a letter that encourages Christians to just do it. Just do it. Uh, And the writer, who many think was the brother of Jesus, he was primarily concerned with this need for Christians to not only say what they believe, but to show it, to practice it. And so James is seen as a very practical and it's a very down-to-earth book of the Bible because it addresses the nitty-gritty of Christian behaviour and conduct. It's often described as a how-to book of Christian living. People have described Peter as a fighter, Paul as a thinker, and James as a doer. That he passionately believed in the need to practice what you preach. That you've got to demonstrate the reality of your faith, the faith that you claim, you've got to demonstrate it in your attitude, in your words, in your actions. Other ways, surely there are questions to be asked about the reality of your faith claims. That seems to be one of the emphasis in this book. And one of his core phrases, and, and this is a phrase you'll often hear repeated in churches Uh, on many occasions, is this. Don't just listen to the word. This is something James says. Don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. So, as we listen to it, can I encourage you to be expectant this morning. Expect to be confronted. Expect to be challenged about how you live your life on a moment-by-moment and day-by-day basis. So, Can I invite you to stand with me, as we often do for the public reading of God's Word? And we're going to read the majority of James chapter 1. It's page 1,213 in the Bibles in the pews. And in these next sort of 20 minutes or so, I'm going to identify three things that we are to simply just do. James chapter 1, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings. 
Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or endurance. Let endurance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all they do. Down to verse 12. Blessed are those who persevere under trial. Because they have stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Down to verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because our anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you and which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Those who listen to the word but do not do what it says are like people who look at their face in a mirror and after looking at themselves go away and immediately forget what they look like. But those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Let's finish it there. Grab a seat. The first thing that we should just do, and and I don't say this easily this morning. Uh, Leonard has very helpfully been, been taking us down a particular track with regard to the whole issue of temptation. But as you'll see from the top of this little chapter, it's, it's also about trials and temptation. So what I'm about to say, I don't say easily. In fact, this jars a little. may even seem strange, bit odd. But the first thing we should just do is embrace trials. That whenever they come visiting, we should greet them with joy. Now, trials in life are inevitable, although it does seem that some people face far more than others. But completely trial-free living is not an option for any of us. They will come knocking. And for those who first received this letter, their trials included suffering physical persecution for their faith. But have a look at verse 2. Because James refers to trials of many kinds. And as I stand up here this morning, and I was very conscious of this this week. But as I stand up here this morning looking across a congregation... I know that many of you are staring at trials that fall into this category of many kinds. You're staring trials squarely in the face. And some of them are extreme. 
And some people know about them, but many don't. And I'm not going to identify or give any examples because that would be incredibly unhelpful. But here's the issue as you sit here this morning. Those trials are tough. They're trying. And as verse 3 says, they are testing your faith. And for some of you, they are testing your faith to the limit. And therefore, whenever I stand up here and read a phrase like that, and whenever I stand up here and say you should just embrace trials, there are some people here who are disturbed by that, unsettled by that, frustrated by that teaching. Because you see, those two concepts just don't go naturally or culturally together. Trials and joy. Because for most people, joy comes through avoiding trials, not embracing them. And so clearly, we've got to take a step back and get some sense that there's a bigger picture to see. That something more needs to be grasped and understood as Christians. And as you read on, you quickly discover that James explains why or how we can consider it pure joy to face trials. You see, there is no full stop after many kinds. If there was, it would be tragic. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, full stop. How could it be? That would just be crazy. But it doesn't stop there, thankfully. There is a because. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance or endurance. So James isn't suggesting that you should somehow rejoice because you face trials. End of story. No, James wants us to rejoice because of what they can produce in our lives. Please hear that. Rejoice because of what they can produce in your life. And what is that? They can develop endurance. Therefore, we can and see or discover a purpose in them. They are not an end in themselves. They are a means to an end. They create something. They create the context and the opportunity for growth. So this stretching, this testing of your faith, that comes through the trial that you're going through at the moment, has the potential and the ability to develop endurance, which is a key virtue of the Christian faith. And what is endurance? Well, let me give you what I think is a great and a very helpful definition, and I can say that because I didn't make it up. Endurance is the growing capacity to experience disappointment and challenge with grace, courage, and resolve. And as I observe some of your situations, and as I have the privilege of becoming aware of what some of you are going through at the moment, I see individuals and I see families who are dealing with their trials with incredible grace and courage and resolve. And I find it humbling. Humbling. And as I've said, every single human being faces trials in life. And just because you're a Christian doesn't shield you. Doesn't make you exempt from the harsh realities of life. 
But what it does mean is that Christians can adopt an alternative countercultural perspective on those realities. We can see trials through fresh eyes. If you're a Christian, you should be able to see trials through a different lens. And we can rejoice in them. Why? Because they can be used by God to develop character in us. Which according to verse 4 is the pathway to maturity and completion. And for me, that way of seeing, and it it does require, I know this, it does require a kind of paradigm shift in thinking and perspective. But if you can experience that, then you may be able, enabled, whenever you face trials, to somehow grasp their potential for your transformation. You can grow stronger through them. And the first thing James tells us to just do is embrace trials. And as I say, I've, I've, I've kind of really struggled to even think of saying that this morning because I know what some of you are dealing with. And I hope that hasn't been unhelpful. Second thing that James tells us to just do is request wisdom. And verse 5 is very familiar. Again, it's a verse you hear prayed in lots of situations. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Life creates a demand for wisdom, doesn't it? Whenever we are going through those inevitable trials, we need wisdom. Whenever we face moments and situations, whether that's at home, at work, at school, with friends, that require a good choice, or a right decision, or a careful word, we need wisdom. Why? Because we need to know, how should I respond here? How should I react? How are we to move forward? And I don't know about you, but I often recognize my need of wisdom and my lack of it. And I like this quote from Abraham Lincoln who said, I have been driven many times to my, to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for this day. We need wisdom from beyond ourselves. And here I find James refreshingly blunt. If you lack it, just ask for it. And what is incredible is that according to James, God will give it to you and he won't rebuke you for asking. And why is that? Well, it's there in black and white. Verse 5. Our God is generous. Our God is generous. You know, it's so good to remind yourself of that. Of this core characteristic of the one true God. He's generous. He's not tight-fisted. He's open-handed. We don't need to prize this from him. He longs to give it to us. But there's a way of asking. Verse 6. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Now there's a challenge. There's a challenge. You see, I like the God gives generously to those who ask, but kind of wish James had stopped there. But he doesn't. He adds this extra dimension, which whatever way you look at it seems like a condition. And a tricky one at that. You must believe and not doubt. Is is that possible? Is it? (laughs) Some of you are smiling at me. Does that mean that if your faith's a bit weak, 
Or if you have some questions about what's happening to you or what you're going through at the moment. If you have a few niggling doubts, then you're beat. And therefore, whenever you ask for wisdom, you can forget it despite the generosity of God because you don't meet or at least you don't feel that you meet this condition. Again, I must admit, struggled with this this week. I've struggled a lot this week, actually. You see, I do believe in God. But hand on heart, could I stand up here this morning and say, I never doubt? And now some of you are worried, thinking the pastor's lost it. (laughs) But I do. I do. And whenever I find myself thinking like that, I I take great comfort and hope in an incident I find in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. You you don't need to turn to it. Because what happens there really helps me to come to terms with this and get my head around it. And it's the story of the dad whose son is possessed by an evil spirit and he brings the boy to the disciples and asks them to drive it out, but they can't. And then Jesus gets involved And what ensues next is a fascinating conversation between this dad and Jesus. How long has he been like this, asks Jesus. From childhood, replies the dad, and he goes on, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, says Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And then the dad comes out with this brilliant Honest, sincere and profoundly helpful comment, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He heals the boy, rebukes the spirit and drives it out. And Jesus takes this man's belief in him, which as the dad had confessed was not perfect, but Jesus takes it and he works with it. And I believe God does the same with us if we're honest before him. In this Mark 9 incident, there was an element of doubt. But it was accompanied, and this is crucial, it was accompanied by a genuine desire to believe. And Jesus could see that, and Jesus accepted that. Doubt unaccompanied by a genuine desire to believe will leave you like a wave in the sea, tossed about and blown in all sorts of directions by the wind, according to James. And that's a scary place to be. And so whenever it comes to asking for wisdom from a generous God, we must ask, believing and not doubting that God can grant us the wisdom, he's able to provide it, he is the only one who can give it to us, but hand on heart there are times whenever doubt creeps in, and therefore I believe I've got to echo that father's cry, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And so if you're here this morning, and and you have niggling doubts, And you're beating yourself up because of that. I I honestly don't believe that's what God wants us to do. You're here this morning because you have a genuine desire to believe. And God sees that and he knows your heart and he works with that. And I thank God for it. We need to embrace trials. We need to request wisdom. And then the third thing that I want to draw from this chapter is we need to control our anger. According to James, a Christian 